Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down again with the commercially savvy, hands-on agency finance director, Nick Hand, to discuss the best and the worst of timesheets. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you, Tara. Good to be back. Well, look, the reason for uh, wanting to discuss timesheets is this press release uh, crossed my, landed in my inbox. I was going to say crossed my desk, but that is actually not true. It landed on the inbox, which said inaccurate timesheets cost economy $9.1 billion a day. That's a real uh, headline stopper, isn't it? It's a big number. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to unpicking this. Well, and, and so I started thinking about it because, you know, I'm sure from your experience, uh, Timesheets in advertising agencies really are the bane of everyone's existence, aren't they? They are, um, particularly in a creative industry where you're asking people that aren't necessarily the most organised individuals in the world to uh, to make sure that they're accounting for every 30 or, or 60 minutes that they work uh, on a timesheet in a system uh, that does tend to present its own share of problems. Yeah, well, and as you say, 30 and 60 minutes, not 10 and 15 minutes that you might see in a law firm or an accounting firm, right? Which always makes me laugh because there's no such thing as a six-minute job or a 10-minute job. Um, yeah. Everything takes at least 30 minutes, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll let the legal firms have that. I just remember uh, as a creative in agencies, you know, every week there'd be some poor accounts uh, person rushing around the creative department saying, where's your timesheets? Where's your timesheets? And everyone would go, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it, but never did. Yeah, nothing's changed. What What is, from a finance point of view and a management point of view, what is the purpose of timesheets? When you know, creative people especially don't want to do it, what is the purpose? Well, beyond the obvious of a method to invoice a client for, for goods and services, uh, it's a management tool for the agency leaders to work out uh, where the productivity lies. So uh, who's doing the work? Um, who's doing the work that we can potentially bill a client? How much of it are they doing? Uh, do we have enough of those people in the right seats to be doing the work? So it is really useful from that perspective for, for agency MDs and CEOs uh, and operational people to be able to make sure that they've got the right resources uh, to be w- doing the right tasks uh, for the clients and the briefs that they've got. Yeah, because you know, it, it's probably something that a lot of people in advertising don't think about, no. is that there is absolutely a need to manage the resources available. I mean, it's not like agencies run with a large number of resources just on standby, do they? No, and unfortunately, I think a lot of clients think that, that there's people sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for a brief to come in um, and then get engaged on that. That's not the case at all. Uh, There's always, in any business, a a demand for scarce resources, and that's the same in an agency, and and management need to know what are the people that we need for the tasks that we've got coming up, and the timesheets are critical to, to help manage that process. If we don't know what people are doing and, and who the productive people are, uh, then it's very difficult to, 
make sure you've got the right workforce in place at the right time. Because timesheets also have to be done by people that are not billable, you know, the non-billables, which includes finance directors, doesn't it? Yep. And the fi- accounts people, the receptionist, the uh, the EAs. The, you know, there's actually quite a few people, probably less this these days with technology, but there's still a significant number of people inside a creative agency that are not actually billed to the client. Yeah, absolutely. You need to know what tasks people are working on, uh, even as you say at the uh, in the back office functions, uh, to know if you've got the right people doing the right things at the right time. Yeah, and uh, I remember as a creative, you know, people uh, creative people especially were really annoyed because the average creative person could be working on three, four, ten clients, depending on the agency. But they'd be inclined to be really annoyed with the account people, not finance people, the account management people, because if they were 100% dedicated to a client, they'd just put down on their timesheets eight hours a day, eight hours a day, which is actually not the purpose, is it? No. Uh, if someone's being, uh, feel as though that they need to be working 12 or 13 hours a day, agency management needs to know that because obviously someone's either inefficient or we don't have enough people uh, working on that function. So uh, as I said at the outset, it's it's a very valuable tool to know who's doing what uh, and where we need to be scheduling the, the people that we have. Yeah. Uh, but your point before, which is timesheets, be, uh, you know, are basically are seen as a way of billing clients, aren't they? Primarily, that's how it was introduced, yes. Um, and there are as we know, numerous ways that you can uh, charge a client for advertising services. Timesheet seems to be the most popular. Uh, And I can understand why it's the most popular. It's easy to understand. Um, A lot of marketers at clients understand it. They work hard and they get paid effectively by the hour for the job that they do. So um, they know what they get paid and the value of an hour. So when they see uh, an agency rate card or they see an agency quote with uh, the agency people uh, working how many ever hours on a retainer or on a project, they can understand, okay, uh, I, I, I sort of get why that task takes as long as it does because I understand how much work's involved. So it's, it's popular from the fact that it's easy to manage uh, or easy to understand from the client's perspective. It's easy to compare if you've got a number of agencies on your roster uh, or effectively all doing the same thing, you can compare from one agency to the other. What is an hour's worth for a creative director from agency B versus agency A? Uh, And also, um, it's it's relatively easy to manage and anyone can sort of pick it up and intuitively know that uh, a quote has five hours at $100 an hour, then that's the bill that I should be getting. So there's a a number of things going for it, but it's not necessarily the uh, optimum way to... uh, uh, for a client to pay their agencies. Yeah, it's a unit of service, isn't it? Yeah. And and yet not necessarily a unit of productivity. Correct. Because what you're actually paying for is an hour of that person's time, whether they actually produce something of value or not. You know, they could be sitting in a meeting for an hour. And I, I always remember a client saying to me, you know, their biggest complaint was that every time they called the agency, six people would turn up for the meeting and only two of them would talk and perhaps one would take notes. And they were wondering why they were paying for the other two, which 
does diminish the overall value, doesn't it? Because it's very cost-focused. It's about the cost of those people's time for that one-hour meeting. Correct. And and particularly in something as subjective as, as a creative agency's output, you're not considering the value of what the agency people are doing to the client's business. All it is is just accounting for the time that they spend doing it not necessarily what the output is or, more importantly, what the value of that output is to the uh, client's business over time. It's funny that it's so popular. I mean, you, you sort of touched on and explained why because, you know, it's easy to understand. If I, if I pay for an hour of Nick Hand's time and it's so much an hour, I can assess whether I see that as a, a fair price. I'm not going to say value, but a fair price because in some ways that's what we're talking about. But the thing that um, that is missing from it is really, you know, how many hours should a particular task take? And so, you know, I'm not just in advertising, but I know uh, clients that find their lawyers seem to take much more time than they expect. Uh, accountants take a lot more time than they expect. And the same for advertising. You know, when, when the agency puts down a quote for, 150 hours, it's, well, why does it take that much time? You know, there, there can be a disconnect between the proposed number of hours and the perception of the requirement of the task, can't there? Oh, absolutely, because, and I understand where that comes from, because that's, when you're looking at the quote, that's front and centre of, uh, of what you're reading. You're not actually thinking, well, necessarily, well, what was the brief and what was the purpose of in the agency in the first place, what do we get? Uh, hope to get um, as the output from the agency to answer that brief? And again, I'll bring it back to what is that going to do for our business in time? Uh, you're simply looking at, uh, well, geez, that's a lot of money. Um, yeah. As you say, 150 hours at uh, whatever the hourly rate is. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that person's going to be doing or what those people are going to be doing without thinking of what the end goal is. Um, you're always looking at the, uh, the, the immediacy of what's in front of you. Mm. I think some ways the the sort of commoditization of advertising compared to accounting firms and legal firms, because, you know, you can get lawyers cheaper, but you move down a strata of, of law firms, you know, from the big end of town to the local suburban lawyer or from the big accounting firm down to you know, the local suburban accountant. Whereas I don't think marketers... Or, or advertisers or procurement see that there's a substantial difference in what's being done. Do you think that's fair or am I being too harsh? No, I think that is fair to a certain extent because um, certainly in, in the legal and accounting profession, there is lots of, as you say, commoditized tasks that can be done. If you've got to fill in an application for a, a, a tax rebate, uh, then it's pretty clear that that takes a certain amount of time to, to fill in the form that the government uh, asks to be completed. And because it's a mechanical process, there really shouldn't be too much difference between legal firm A and legal firm B. Um, and perhaps similarly completing a tax return that's quite simple, there shouldn't be much difference between accounting firm A and accounting firm B. Where the different tiers, particularly in the legal sector that you're referring to is uh, when you need some specific advice about uh, particularly prickly legal matter 
or risk mitigation? Or risk or? mitigation. Uh, generally, you're going to go to the practitioner that's got uh, the runs on the board in that particular field. And given the uh, potential penalties, if uh, you don't get the right result, you're pr probably prepared to pay more for the right practitioner to, to manage that case. And so therefore, it's a lot easier to, for the uh, purchaser to see the value in going for the high profile uh, lawyer rather than the local suburban lawyer. Mm. I think it's a lot harder to do that in advertising and particularly in the creative agency space because you are dealing with something that's subjective. In your legal example, you're guilty or you're not, or even if you're guilty, there's degrees of uh, what the penalty is going to be. And it's very, uh, it's very easy to understand how a certain lawyer might be able to reduce the penalty or get you off entirely. Mm. It's a lot harder to see the outcome from creative agency A and creative agency B being any different, unless you've got a particular affinity with the people that are uh, the principals in those agencies or they're going to be doing the work. Uh, and potentially they've got runs on the board uh, with other clients and other campaigns already, it's very difficult to see how one's going to be different from the other. Mm. There's different approaches to it, and certainly if it's a pitch situation, uh, you're going to get nine times out of ten two completely different approaches. One may be, uh, they, you, you can't necessarily differentiate what's right or wrong, they're just different, but ultimately one will work, Maybe the other one will work as well. You don't know that at the time. So it's very difficult to ascribe a higher value to one agency over another because you're not necessarily sure what the result's going to be. The other thing when you said that, when you mentioned the pitch, right, is that it seems that in law and accounting, people are not as uh, you know, quick to change uh, firms as they appear to be with agencies. I mean, I think the latest uh, number is that, you know, tenure for agencies is three to four years. Whereas I'm sure if we look at uh, the big accounting firms and law firms, they probably hold their clients for a lot longer. And that perhaps that's a function of, you know, people feeling like they've gone to an expert, whereas someone, uh, everyone feels that they understand advertising could be one of the uh, the functions that are happening there. But for all of this of clients feeling like agencies put too many hours, it's interesting because there's only really been a couple of big cases of timesheet fraud in the advertising industry. I mean, the one that stands out, and it's more than 15 years ago, was uh, uh, famously Ogilvy and the US government where the agency or uh, two of the staff members were actually convicted in the US of timesheet fraud for, uh, you know, let's say, enhancing the timesheets to justify the fees being judged. But beyond that, it doesn't seem to be as widespread as people would make out. No, I don't think it is. Um, I would say that uh, there's probably uh, non-intentional misstatement of timesheets because the longer you leave filling in your timesheet, the less like, less accurate you're likely to be. Um, so I think there's plenty of that going on, but I, I, I don't think that you'll find too many instances of uh, uh, people manipulating timesheets to, to, to get a bigger result because usually uh, most agencies are uh, end up reporting more hours on their client than they've actually quoted and billed for. So uh, I think that's a rare occurrence. 
and yeah. certainly not the norm. So from your experience, uh, do you think agencies are more likely to be under uh, reporting on the time actually taken or over reporting? My experience is that they're over reporting. They're doing more hours than they're actually getting paid for. Right. Um, and I think that's uh, really to do with the negotiation at the, the, the point of uh, setting the, the contract in place or the retainer or the project fee or whatever the case is. There's commercial competitive pressures uh, to um, quote a price that uh, is going to be palatable to the client. And I think in most instances that's under what the, uh, the, the agency would actually like to charge. So, so you know, on that basis, this uh, this press release uh, from Tribes AI, they said they've they've looked at uh, missing or inaccurate timesheets has been estimated to be costing businesses fifty thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars US per employee per day. I mean, what what do you think about that? Um, well, I would say that that's then on top of the time that they were actually already recording. So if they were already recording more hours than they can actually build a client, it would not surprise me if there are inaccuracies that uh, go to, to those uh, that extent. Yeah, they're saying an average of 21.5% of the billable time is being missed because of traditional timesheet mechanisms. Yeah, I'd believe that. Um, I think very rarely uh, do you get an employee in an agency that diligently records their time every 30 minutes or every time. I, I know some of the art workers used to do it because they've had so many jobs across their desk over the course of the day that if they don't keep a running tally of what they're doing, um, they'll never keep track of it. Uh, but generally, they're the outliers and uh, most people are doing their timesheets once a week, maybe once every two weeks. In some cases, once a month if you're lucky, and your ability to go back and remember with any degree of accuracy what you've done uh, in those instances is, is, is very difficult. Next Look, you're, you're absolutely right, and, and particularly in the creative industries, and I don't just mean the creative department, but the number of casual conversations that happen throughout the day uh, that never hit a timesheet system must be phenomenal. I mean, I know from my own experience, you know, passing in the hallway and suddenly your five, ten minute conversation around a particular project, it's not going to appear on the timesheet. Yeah, and I think the, uh, the the press release you're referring to also had something in it about the, the email culture that we have. Once upon a time before emails, communication was a lot more formal. Mm. Someone called you or there was a uh, a, a typewritten memo that uh, was delivered to you and uh, requesting something. So you'd spend time reading that and thinking about your answer and then you'd spend an, a, an, another 30 minutes uh, formulating a reply. The, the, the current quick fire, rapid communication of email. <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> of email and, and, and you know, the instances of, of uh, chat uh, apps and those sorts of things just makes that problem even worse is that uh, it's so difficult to keep track of every aspect of correspondence or communication you've had with every single client or every single job. 
um, it's a nightmare. It, I, I understand why uh, these things are inaccurate because you just simply cannot in today's fast-paced environment uh, record absolutely everything that you've done. It, yeah. it, it's impossible. Well, you know, I was earlier today I was having a conversation with an agency and uh, the, the uh, account director was very happy because they'd got their inbox down from 300 emails to 10 and felt that that was a huge achievement. And I turned around and I said, uh, let me just check. Oh, yeah, I've got just under 11,000 emails, but they do go back to 2011. So if there's anyone <laughs> listening to this and I haven't responded, it'll be in that 11,000 somewhere. <laughs> I'll get to it soon, yeah. <laughs> One day soon. But it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, uh, this company, uh, Tribes AI, have um, chosen to use technology and artificial intelligence to link all of the technology that surrounds us to actually then track uh, timesheet you know, hours. I mean, it's an interesting concept because, you know, you can imagine if it's your mobile phone, your email, your computer, your calendar, you know, all of these things, it would start capturing a lot of time that would get missed on the, either the manual, I don't think any agency uses the, the sort of uh, clicker, do they? You know, the timesheet clicker that you have to click every 10 minutes or 15 no, minutes? No, I think many have tried, but uh, <laughs> they gave up pretty quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it, there is something in the idea. I'm just not sure whether it's going to be, you know, 100% accurate. Look, I think any time you can use technology to help solve a problem, you're more than likely going to uh, improve the accuracy. It's not going to be 100% accurate. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, the instance where creative director and their strategy director get together in the corridor and, and uh, sit down in an empty meeting room and, and, and talk about the brief that they've just received uh, for a couple of hours on spec, that's not going to show up in any email or show up in any calendar entry. So that's not going to get recorded. So you're still relying on uh, a manual uh, entry mm. to capture that time. But everything else that you've mentioned that potentially might otherwise not end up in the timesheet. If that can be captured automatically by a piece of technology, I think that's a, a step in the right direction, absolutely. And it's interesting because I think it's three or four years ago, there was a study in Harvard Business Review that actually laid the lost productive time at the feet of the email system. And so, you know, any system that can then at least capture the emails that you've sent and allocate those to a particular job or a particular client uh, has to be an improvement on, you know, just someone having to remember how long. Though I have to say, sorry, I just remembered, I, I do remember getting a lawyer's uh, uh, bill and there was like 45 minutes for an email and I went back and looked at it and it was about three sentences. I'm just not quite sure how they could spend 45 minutes writing me a three-sentence email, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I'm sure there's many ways of justifying that, but yeah, let's not go into that. I just paid it. <laughs> yeah, probably best. Yeah, but um, so let's, let's assume these numbers are right. Yeah, you know, let's assume that the average agency person is currently under recording their timesheets by, it says 21.5 on average, but let's say 20%. I mean, that's one day a week that they're under recording. Yep. So 
what's going to happen if suddenly the agency is now identifying that extra day of work a week that they haven't been billing previously? Well, first thing I'll probably try and do is uh, go cap in hand to the client and say, you've not been paying us enough. Uh, here's the timesheet data to prove it. Uh, we'd like to send you in a, a bill for the, uh, for the additional charges. Uh, that's not a conversation that generally is going to go down particularly well after the fact. Well, particularly not when, um, you know, you, there's a retainer in place and there's an agreement around that because, you know, there's many, uh, many clients will say, hang on, we agreed the retainer. You've got to manage your overs and unders within reason. Um, so that's, that is not a winning strategy. What's it mean from the point of view of the finance director who's finding themselves writing off uh, time that could never be, you know, that should be billed but can't be recouped? What does that look like on your, uh, your P&L or your balance sheet? Well, it's frustration for a start, but what that will do is uh, elicit conversations about why aren't we billing this? The fact that we've not been capturing it, we've solved that problem now with the use of the technology, but why is it that we haven't included this in our retainer discussions? Why is it that we haven't included this in our project quotations? And what do we need to do to fix that in the future? Um, once you haven't billed for it, it's largely gone. Those conversations usually never go well. But what are we going to do in going our business op operationally going forward to, to try and recoup uh, those sorts yeah. of, uh, that sort of money? And you said the key word there for me, projects, because we hear and we see the large number of clients that don't want to be locked into retainers anymore, so they go to project fees. I mean, while the agency may know that they're going well over the allocated amount in the agreed project, it means that when they're quoting the next one, they will potentially be adding that 21.5% because they've now got very more accurate data around the hours that it actually took. Yep. So potentially we're going to see an increase in fees or at least an increase in the cost involved in the proposals. Well, we may see an increase in the, uh, the, the quotation of the proposal. Whether the client will accept that uh, is a completely uh, different question. And. It, it, oh, yeah, but Nick, now they're going to have the outputs from this uh, Tribes AI that says on our last three projects with you, this is what we quoted, this is what we actually did, this is why we're putting that forward. I mean, everyone says they want more data. This is actually providing the data to support those uh, cost positions. I, I think the issue there then is, well, what is that output actually worth? I appreciate that you've spent all these hours, all these inputs performing the work, but the output at the end of the process, how much is that actually worth to the client? That's the issue. And you know, there's, 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 there's potentially two questions there that need to be answered. So um, what is, what are other clients paying for a similar set of outputs? Yeah. Uh, and also, Getting back to something I've said earlier, what's the value to the client of that particular set of outputs? It's not necessarily going to equate with the uh, the amount of work that the agencies uh, invested in getting to that point. There's got to be a, a value equation from the client's perspective at the end of it. 
Yeah, and I completely understand that, except that the whole uh, financial fee remuneration model that's based on hours and time is not about value. It's about cost, you know. And, and I have this argument all the time, you know, Trinity P3, we put a fixed cost forward. Here's the scope of the project. Here's the deliverables. This is what it looks like. Here's the fee. And I still get the question, well, what? how much is that per hour? And the answer is, well, if it takes me one hour, it's the whole fee for per hour. If it takes me a 1,000 hours, it's the fee divided by a 1,000, and that's the hourly rate. Because, you know, you've set this up as a cost. You've, I've charged you. I know emotionally they'll start comparing it to what they could buy elsewhere, but is that value? No, that's just competitive pricing. It only becomes a value equation when they look at it in the context of the value that it delivers to them, not the comparative price with other agencies. Yes, absolutely. And I also think these conversations uh, generally go down well, provided that the agencies quote for time and materials, hours, lands within the budget that the client's got. If those two things marry up, then everyone's happy. Yeah. The the issues start when the agency is asking for more money than the client's prepared to spend. Yeah. Now, whether that is truly a, uh, a budget constraint, well, this is all the money that the, the finance department has given me to play with, uh, or the value conversation they've already considered and they don't believe that uh, there's uh, that particular campaign or that particular project is worth any more than the budget that they've uh, quoted to the agency to respond on. That's that's where the, the, the problems lie. The agency can say, well, yes, but you're paying us, on a, to your argument, on a, a, a time and materials basis. This is the amount of time it takes. That only works when that aligns with the budget that the, the, the client's of actually course, got. Of course, and they've set the budget either on a top-down model which is this is my total budget and I've divided it by the number of projects or things I need to do, or a bottom-up model, which is this is what I need to achieve, this is the value of achieving those things, and so now I'll invest in them on that basis. And I would say the vast majority of marketers and agencies work on a top-down. Yeah. You know, budgets are set by what did we spend last year, can I get more or less? But I've still got the same scope of work, so if I get less, I'm dividing a smaller pie amongst the number of things, so now I've got to shop around for a lower price. Yeah. None of this has got to do with the, the amount of time and the cost it takes. All that does is eventually they get a budget and then turn around and say to the agency, well, you know, can you do it for this price? And the agency says no because it takes 20 30% more time to do that task for you. Yeah. And, and this is getting back to what we are talking about before. Um, my experience is that agencies are constantly over-recording the hours that they're able to bill and always undercharging based on those timesheets. And then the report that we've got says that uh, there's another 20% again that's not being recorded at all. Well, that's great. And what, what was it, $50,000 a person Yeah, uh, 51000 approximately. Yep. US, US. Yeah. And that's across uh, US, UK, and Australia. And that's all well and good, but 
is uh, a client actually going to pay for that extra 21.5%? That's the question. It's, uh, it's great to say, well, the, the, the productivity is down by this, but who's going to pay for that? Um, and uh, I, I think in the current climate, you're not going to get too many clients that will agree to, oh, you've underbilled me by 20%? Sure, yeah, well, here's a check for, uh, for, for the $50,000 per person per year to make up for that. I, I, I don't think that that's, uh, that's not an easy conversation. <laughs> no, you're right. Do you think it's a valuable tool to have more accurate timesheets for the business? Should the business be worried about, you know, the agency be worried that they're actually capturing the right level rather than relying on the short-term memory of their staff to fill it in once a fortnight or once a week? Yeah, I, I think it's a valuable tool for that. And going back to what we were talking at the outset, uh, as a management tool for the business to understand exactly what tasks their people are doing and in what quantities to ensure that they've got the right people doing the right jobs. Um, whether you can actually invoice for it down the track that's a separate issue. But at the end of the day, there's still projects to be delivered and tasks to be done. Do we have the right people doing the right jobs and the right quantities uh, to be able to deliver what our clients are asking? And, and, and something like this, I think, is a fabulous tool to, to help provide information to do that. It would also be useful to start to identify where productivity is being lost. You know, whether it has the capabilities to see why you know, three emails were sent or why eight meetings were called uh, rather than just, you know, done in one and a phone call and things like that, you know. If you could get to that level with drilling down into this data, it could become incredibly valuable as a way of making an industry that traditionally has not thought about productivity to start thinking about ways of being more productive. Yeah, I, I think... One of the biggest issues I faced in the agencies I worked in was rework. Yeah. And ultimately, where does that responsibility lie? Um, quite often, despite the protestations of the agencies, it lies with them because they just didn't do it right. They didn't read the brief, glossed over the pertinent facts and uh, didn't quite nail what they should have nailed and had to go back and redo it. I suspect that technology such as this might help with that uh, analysis yeah. to determine, okay, well, we know we messed up. Um, where did we mess up? Why did we not answer the brief and have to go back and do this job twice when we're only getting paid once? Those sorts of things I think would be very useful. I remember uh, sitting in my office uh, when I was creative director and observing the people in the agency, you know, running around and around, being incredibly busy, but realising that in many ways they were doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, that tasks were done in this sort of cyclical approach, you know, whether it's rework or rebriefing or whatever, when it seemed that, you know, just less haste would have less waste is the same, mm. um, you know, because invariably what limits an agency is either time or budget. The two very things that we measure as a way of the cost of the work that the agency does, you keep doing it until you run out of time or you run out of budget. 
one of those two things is going to stop this constant approach. And I remember talking to a CMO and they go, oh, no, but that's the only way you can make sure you get the best result because, you know, you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, refining it, refining it. And I think that would be true if it was a refinement. But I think what actually ends up happening is it's just rethink, rethink, rethink. You know, it's not necessarily resulting in a better product. It inspired me to start Trinity P3. So. Yeah. There's, a, there's an interesting story. I, I don't know if it's true or not, um, and I don't even remember where I heard it, but uh, of uh, some French artist who had his work um, displayed in the Louvre. And they literally had to ban him from the museum because he would come in with his paintbrush and his boxes and he'd step over the little rope that separated and, and constantly and improve constantly it. Improve it. Um, at some point, you've got to say, Draw the line. This is good enough um, and, and, and move on to the next thing. So uh, I, I, I think that illustrates what you've just been talking about, that you've, uh, it, it is never going to be absolutely perfect. Let's get it to the point where it answers the brief and is going to solve the marketing problem of the client. Um, surely that's got to be good enough. Okay, Nick. So uh, an AI solution to agency timesheets, yay or nay? Oh, I think yes. Uh, as I said, anything that's uh, uh, technology-wise that's going to provide better information uh, to both the agencies and their clients is, is can only be helpful. With a caution that don't think about necessarily that will lead to charging your client 21.5% more. No, I think it's going to be more, uh, you'd be able to organise yourself as the agency better internally by having better information about who's doing what. Well, look, that was, uh, that press release was from Tribes AI. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Nick, it's been great as always having this conversation. Thank you for uh coming by and having a chat on managing marketing. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Actually, yeah, look, before you do go, uh, in your experience, which particular area of the agency was always best at doing their timesheets on time?